This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Browns fans, now, Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is Dan Kadar, joined as always by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, how are you this week? Good, Dan. How's it going? Very, very good. We are a little bit later in the week uh, this week, so we are going to talk straight Vikings preview for this week. We're not going to look back on the previous Browns game at all. So we're going to talk a lot about what to expect on Sunday in Minnesota. But before we get there, the news of today, we're recording this on Thursday, Wednesday afternoon, excuse me, um, is that rookie cornerback Greg Newsom is going to miss the game. Nate, in your estimation, how big of a blow is this for the Browns? Well, I would say it's probably scale of one to 10, 10 being the biggest blow. I'd give it a uh, 7.5. And the reason I give it a 7.5 is because this is your rookie first round draft pick. Who's your starter opposite Denzel Ward. And he's played really well so far. And you know, you do have a a backup with starting experience behind him in Greedy Williams. So that's why I'm not bumping it to like uh, an 8, 8.5, because you do have a guy who you at least have some level of confidence in based on his resume can step in admirably. But, you know, Greedy's coming off a lost year. You know, he had that, that nerve damage that he suffered in his shoulder, on August 24th of 2020 during a training camp practice, and, and we know that he missed the entire season. He has played in the backup role and a special teams role thus far through the first three games of the 2021 season. And what that's entailed is eight snaps on defense against Kansas City in week one, no defensive snaps in week two against the Houston Texans, and eight more snaps uh, with um, Greg Newsom, the second going out in the fourth quarter uh, this past Sunday against the Chicago Bears. So, you know, I asked Kevin Stefanski on Monday because we knew that Greg Newsom had suffered that calf injury, and the calf injuries can be tricky. Denzel Ward missed three games with a calf injury last year. So I wanted to get it on the record just because we've seen greedy back but we've seen him in such a limited capacity is he ready for a full workload is that shoulder ready because hey that's an injury where you know if he takes a hit the wrong way you know that shoulder can start messing with him again it's you know nerve damage is nerve damage it's it can be a lingering issue it can be something that you know pops up again on him so i just want to know can he handle that starter level of snaps and Stefanski said, yeah, he's ready, uh, and if need be, he will be able to, to handle that workload. So here we go. Uh, he's going to be tested. 
And this is a potent Vikings offense. Kirk Cousins is playing very well. And they have, I don't know, Dan, where do you put that receiving tandem? I mean, it's got to be one of the better receiving tandems in the NFL, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Uh, I like their number three receiver, too, K.J. Osborne. I think he has some pop to him. So I don't know where you rank him, Dan, but this is a tough test for the cornerbacks, and you're down one who is playing really well. Well, I don't necessarily know where I would rank them either, but um, I mean, there, there's a lot of teams with a lot of good wide receivers, you know, like San Francisco has good wide receivers. I think the, the Seahawks do uh, Dallas does. So it, it but it, it's a blow with, without Greg Newsome. And I, I know what Kevin Stefanski said. Everybody knows what Kevin Stefanski said at this point, Nate, but was that, coach lip service about a guy who has only played 16 defensive snaps through three games because that that was one of my big questions actually before last week was what the heck is going on with greedy williams because you would think even even as a backup and i i know ward is is good and newsom it looks like he's going to be good but you would still think he would have more snaps on defense than he has so it do, do you really think that Greedy Williams is is good to go? Because I, based on just the, the fact that we haven't seen him that much, I, I'm not so sure. Well, I will say that I'm going to take Kevin Stefanski at his word on this one because without hesitation today, he named Greedy Williams the starter for Sunday. And they have another viable option. In Troy Hill, a guy who they use as their nickelback, but has experience on the outside as well. And in a pinch, I think could be a starting outside corner. This is a pinch, but they're still going with Greedy. So without hesitation, he said Greedy is starting Sunday. So I think for that reason, they are going to insert him into the Greg Newsom role. And we're going to see a lot of them. If something goes wrong, then AJ Green would be in the mix there. Um, but what's happened with Greedy so far this season is that Greg Newsom's played well, and he has been the starter opposite Denzel Ward, and Hill has been the nickel, and they've used the three. I thought they might go in a with a dime package more than they have with the four corners, and that's how Greedy would get on the field more early in the season. But we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that version of dime. We've seen with Grant Delta coming back in week two, we've seen more big dime, and that's with the three safeties as opposed to the four corners. Um, so that's where it's been. It's been a, a numbers game, and I uh, I guess we'll see, Dan. I mean, you, I've got to give you a, a, a victory lap here. Um, you called the <laughs> JOK game. You called the JOK game. So maybe you're you're going to call this, this, this bluff of Kevin Stefanski, a, a legend bluff, if, if you will, um, and – uh, we're not going to see the full starters workload from Greedy uh, on Sunday, but right now I am. I'm going to take him at his word. But yeah, you called the JOK game, and I believe that I was saying that I didn't think that he was going to get a ton of snaps, and actually that was true. And therefore, I didn't think it would be the JOK game because he's not just not going to play a lot. He still didn't play a ton. I mean, they, I think they had 45 defensive plays, and he played 23 snaps. And his high snap count 
for the season is still week one at 25. Now, there were more plays, so this was a larger percentage. But he absolutely flashed, showed up big. He got on the stat sheet with a half a sack, some tackles for loss, breakups, and was very active, running all around, got love from the PFF crew. Um, so, Dan, you were right. You called the JOK game. Well, I, I'm going to call another game just right off the bat here then. Go. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say this is the Troy Hill game. I mean he like you said he's been their nickel and he hasn't been bad for the Browns by any means I don't think but he hasn't been a big impact kind of player. This this is the kind of game where I think he can he can really show something especially if it, look it's going to depend how the Browns cover these Vikings receivers like you mentioned they have Adam Thieland. They have Justin Jefferson and K.J. Osborne, who is, he's one of those wide receivers who looks like a running back, you know, and he, he kind of plays like it a little bit too. But um, to me, if Troy Hill is put on Adam Thielen, I think that's a good matchup for the Browns. Thielen is a, an incredible receiver, particularly on possession catch situations, you know, third downs and just when the Vikings need to move the ball. He's, he's really good. Um, so to me, if I were to call it this early, it's a Troy Hill game. And I'm, I also, in addition to that, Nate, do you have any concerns right now about how Denzel Ward is playing? Because to me, he has, he has not played like a guy that you're about to spend a a big chunk of your salary cap on. So what do you think of my Troy Hill prediction? Do you have the same concerns about Denzel Ward? Um, what, what do you think of the cornerbacks in, in addition to getting Greedy Williams more in this game and, and Newsom being out? I, I would need a larger sample size of disappointing performances for Denzel Ward to worry me. I think he's a proven player. He's had injuries. We know that's the knock on him. But when healthy, he's been a legit corner. Uh, you know, Pro Bowl caliber at times in his career, certainly made the Pro Bowl as a rookie. Uh, was Pro Bowl caliber last season until he got hurt with the calf injury I mentioned earlier, and then he got COVID later in the season, and that wiped him out for a couple games, just like it did Miles Garrett. And I think people tend to forget that too much because, you know, Miles got a lot of attention for, for that um, story, and it was he was very open and honest about the effects of the virus on him, and that was, I think, really good for a lot of people to hear. You know, if anybody had any kind of, questions about COVID and uh, you know you look at Miles Garrett and the physical specimen he is and you know the experience he had with it I think that could have been eye-opening for some people but my point with all this is I didn't have any worries about Miles Garrett after you know week two when you know he was basically shut out of pressuring um, the Texans and their quarterbacks both of them you know playing and uh, Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills I didn't have any worries about Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett's a real, legitimate player. Not every player is going to have a lights out game every week. But guess what? Miles Garrett looked like the real, legitimate player we know he's proved to be uh, in the past on Sunday against the Bears. He's the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. So, like, I'm, I'm always in the camp of, you know, if a guy's a legit player, uh, I'm not going to rush 
and have a knee-jerk reaction if he has a couple bad games or uncharacteristic games. And that's where I am with Denzel Ward. Because I really don't think that was the case this past weekend against Chicago. Like, you know, they had one net passing yard. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot going on there. Um, True. But, yeah, the first two weeks, I know what you're talking about. They were not the Denzel Ward performances we've we've grown accustomed to seeing. So I'm in on Denzel Ward being a legit player, a Pro Bowl caliber corner who's had a, you know, rough start to the season, but his history tells me that he can turn around and, and be one of the better Browns players like he has in the past. So that's where I'm going to stand with that. And of course I said, I, I felt the same way about Miles Garrett, despite one week that drew a lot of criticism, uh, I think, and, and a lot of questions about him and NFL defensive player of the year, Tennessee. I mean, it, give me a stretch like five, six, seven, eight games for a guy like that. And then, you know, maybe I'll start saying things like that, thinking things like that. But it's a 17-game season. These guys know it. And I think Garrett showed that, you know, there's no way he should be dismissed. And I I think Ward's going to have that in him. We'll see. If I'm wrong, I'll admit it. Uh, But definitely not, not giving up on him being, you know, the player we think he is. Well, I, I will keep you to that. We'll talk Denzel Ward. Uh, Akron's, Akron's pride, really, uh, in terms of NFL football, if you ask me. We'll talk about him more in a few weeks and see where he's at because he, he, is, he is good, but the, the microscope is on him, I think, you know, especially when the, the contract thing is still out there for him. And I, I think it's easy to forget about that when – Baker Mayfield's contract is the one that gets a lot more attention. So, and this week, it, it's going to be a difficult game for for Denzel Ward. It's going to be a difficult game for the entire Browns defense playing this Vikings offense. Look, the Vikings are one and two for a reason. Their their defense is pretty hit or miss, but their offense, especially the last couple weeks, they they've really picked it up. And my my question, Nate, is are the Browns a team when push comes to shove against a team like the Vikings, are the Browns built to play and win a big shootout game? You know, like the, the Browns average more rush attempts than any team in the NFL. Now that that's kind of whatever, cause it's only like one more game than Tennessee and less than two more game than Baltimore. But the, the Browns are a run first team, but if they get into a game with a team like Minnesota that can just go right up and down the field on offense, do you think the Browns can, can keep up with that kind of, of pace scoring the ball? Yeah, I think we know they can. And I think we saw the evidence in week one, they lost 33 29, but they probably win that game. If a crazy fluky play doesn't happen when Jamie Gillen dropped, the snap when he was lined up to punt and then he didn't kick it and he got, you know, swarmed uh, for a turnover on downs at the 15. Like that offense got off to a scorching start, scoring a touchdown on each of its three first three possessions. Yeah, I think the Browns can score the 30 plus points 
that they, I think they actually will need to win this game. I agree with you, Dan. I think it's going to look like week one. I'm not saying the Vikings are the Chiefs, but they have a potent offense. They're going to be playing at home. That's another really loud place. It's going to be tough for Baker Mayfield and the offensive line and everything like that, but I think that they show that they can handle themselves well in that environment. And, you know, if it's really going to be a matter of, hey, we got to get the offense clicking like that again, but not have the mistakes we had in Cincinnati. So, obviously, I mentioned the the Gillen play, but there was the Nick Chubb fumble that the Chiefs got three off of, you know, in the third quarter, and then, obviously, the Baker pick at the end. And I think that, you know, if you look at the boxes that the Browns need to check, that the offense needs to check, that Baker needs to check, you know, that's still hanging out there, that that two-minute drill come from behind, uh, win and we've seen it in the past from Baker, but I'm talking about this season. Um, you know, in a shootout against a team like the Vikings, that I think is, is going to be a very formidable opponent on the on the road, and I think that situation could very easily present itself. But yeah, I, I think I'm picking the Vi- the the Vikings um, to to score 30, 31, 32, and the Browns to win by you know, a field goal or less point differential. I think it's going to be one of those games and the final score is going to be reminiscent of week one at Arrowhead. I thought you were just about to say, based on how you were dragging it out, that you were picking the Vikings to win the game. No, I'm um, going to pick the Browns, but um, yeah. I, I could, it's going to be close. Like, I, at the first line I saw, because I get the emails from the, the – um, offshore betting sites or whatever the <laughs> yes. first one, yeah they, they send me the people who cover the nfl and the first one was um vikings were a point favorite so i i, I think it's going to be very close i think it's going to be high scoring i think it's going to be really entertaining and it's going to be a tough game for the Rams because i just i look at this receiving core um that i mentioned earlier but I look at the running backs, too. Dalvin Cook didn't play last week with the ankle injury. But his backup had a hell of a game. Alexander Madison had, like, a Kareem Hunt production game as a, as a receiver out of the backfield and as a rusher. And the defense is good. I think they, they're, they are vulnerable to, to giving up some points. But the defensive front is really active and good. And, I mean... Hunter and, and uh, Griffin look good to me. I think Sheldon Richardson's going to have some extra juice for the Browns. So I think it's going to be a real test. Um, but I, I do think that week one is kind of the blueprint for, you know, winning a shootout even though they didn't win it. If they can eliminate some of those mistakes and then, you know, they may have to overcome that, you know, two-minute drive clutch crunch time hurdle that they didn't in Kansas City. Um, but I, I could see it going their way this time. So I think it's a toss-up, and I'm going to go with the Browns. Well, the, the latest odds I see, which are courtesy of the Tipico Sportsbook, which is the official sportsbook of the USA Today Network. Um, I think I said that right. Um, <laughs> the, the latest line is Browns minus one and a half points. So it shifted some, but it's it, that that's basically, I mean, when the week starts, 
the Vikings a one-point favorite to now the Browns being a minus one-and-a-half favorite. That, that to me, is a toss-up. So I, I agree that I think this is going to be a tight one, and I'm glad you actually mentioned the Vikings running group because if you want to talk about position rankings, the Vikings running backs got to be pretty close to where the Browns are at. I mean, I, I, I think Madison is a good player, and I think last season, you know, we were talking about where Nick Chubb rates among the best running backs in the NFL. I think I may have said that I think Dalvin Cook was better, and I, I'm pretty sure I offended you deeply based on how you reacted. I remember that. Um, so Dalvin, But Dalvin Cook's really good. Now, maybe I'm wrong about him being better than Nick Chubb, who is incredible, um, but... Man, this is a tough game. I, I think the Browns are going to win, too. It looks like the over-under, again, courtesy of the Tipico Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of the USA Today Network. The 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 over-under is 52.5 points, which is, you know, for a game that where we expect it to be a shootout, that's not necessarily a lot of points. No. Um, and again... We are never, ever giving you betting advice on this podcast. I cannot stress that enough. Yeah, horrible idea. But I, I might I might put a couple on the over on this one because I, I think it's going to be like a, I don't know, 30, 36 to 32. I don't know how you get there in terms of scoring and whatnot, but something right around there. I, I, I'm saying Browns win too, and... I, I think it's going to be another high production game for Baker Mayfield. And I got to tell you, I, I was very excited about how the Browns are using Odell Beckham in, in his first game last week. And I, I think that can, can continue, uh, particularly against the Vikings and in, in a dome uh, where, where his speed can be really put on display. I don't know. I, I think Browns win. I think shootout, but I think it's close. Um, Nate, anything else this week before we get out of here on a quick podcast? I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty well for a quick one. Um, but yeah, I mean, the interesting the interesting thing about the idea that it can be a shootout is that the familiarity that Kevin Stefanski oh, yes. yeah. has, you know, 14 seasons in Minnesota, but what's more relevant is work for Mike Zimmer, who's his offensive coordinator, you know, ran the Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan scheme uh, that he brought here to Cleveland. And now, you know, Gary Kubiak's son, Clint, is is running that in Minnesota. So Stefanski knows that offense inside and out. The Vikings know Stefanski's offense inside and out. The fancy obviously knows the personnel on both sides of the ball. I mean, there have been some changes in the short time period since he left, but a lot of it's the same. And so that familiarity, that's the one kind of curveball here is do both these coaching staffs slash rosters kind of have enough knowledge of each other to create more stalemates than maybe we're anticipating, thus lowering the score on each side, maybe. Um, that's kind of an interesting wrinkle to throw in there. But I'm still leaning high scoring, 
reminiscent of week one. This time the Browns win. Um, but if they don't, won't be shocked at all. Sets up a big uh, kind of pressure game. Week five at a tough Chargers team that just won in Kansas City. But, hey, the, the Browns aren't allowed to get ahead of themselves. The coaches and players have to focus on one game at a time. But that's what we're here for, Dan. We get ahead of ourselves all the time. So that's the way I'm looking at it. Oh, absolutely. I get I get ahead of myself worrying about uh, Denzel Ward struggling. Or I didn't even bring it up the right side of the offensive line, but we'll save that for next week maybe, depending on what happens in this game. <laughs> last, last thing, because yeah. I, I did want to mention it and ask you about it. Um, and again, all our Brown stuff is at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. And today, Nate will have – Nate has a really good story. I think that's for today, right, Nate, on – Stefanski and his, um, well, you just describe it. What's the story on Kevin Stefanski you're working on? Well, I mean, there's a lot of angles that, that you can take here. And uh, with Kevin Stefanski going back to Minnesota, I, you know, Brad Childress was the head coach who hired Stefanski in 2006. And it was kind of like an administrative role. You know, he was basically like, Brad Childress's like gatekeeper, you know, sat right outside his office and handled a bunch of tasks for him from delivering fines to players to, you know, making sure meetings were running on time and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I've talked to Brad Childress a couple times since the fancy he's been hired for some big stories. And one guy, you know, I've talked to Gary Kubiak and, you know, obviously he was, uh, you know, the guy who helped, Stefanski, you know, implement that that famous scheme in his last season as Vikings OC before he came over to the Browns. Um, you know, I've talked to some of the other Vikings uh, coaches, Leslie Frazier, another Vikings coach who retained uh, Kevin Stefanski. Um, obviously, Mike Zimmer also retained Stefanski. Uh, that's what allowed him to be there for 14 seasons. So rare in the NFL for a coach to be there that long. Um, but the guy I never talked to until today uh, is Kevin Rogers. And that was the quarterback's coach of the Vikings from 2006 to 2010. And he was the guy in the room in 2009 when Stefanski first transitioned from his administrative role kind of all hand, you know, whatever, right hand role. Um, he was called assistant to the head coach. But when he transitioned from that role to an actual, you know, dedicated, you know, coaching role, it was assistant quarterbacks coach. So he goes in this room in 2009 as a young guy uh, working with a position group, you know, specifically for the first time. And this guy, Kevin Rogers, was his mentor. You know, he was the quarterbacks coach. And of all people, Brett Favre comes rolling into that quarterback room that year. So they had that experience together, dealing with a true legend, a, you know, a character on top of all of it. And I, I've talked to Stefanski about Favre before, and Stefanski said, you know, he, he wasn't doing coaching. He was sitting there in the room as a coach, listening and learning from Favre and from Kevin Rogers. So I talked to Kevin Rogers today about just those early days with Kevin Stefanski and what Stefanski has involved into, obviously the NFL coach of the year in 2020 and the journey, right? And, and Kevin Rogers is now with the Browns. He is a senior offensive assistant 
Um, he came here last year, Stefanski's first year, and you know he's a, a you know in a in an unassuming role, and and you know he hasn't ever like been at the podium. He hasn't talked to the media, um, but I talked to him today, and he knows Kevin Stefanski better than anyone else in Browns headquarters. So that was kind of cool to get his perspective. And yeah, that'll be on our site Thursday morning. Yeah, that, that'll be a good read, I'm sure. So with all that said, Nate, last thing quickly. I, I know Kevin Stefanski will never say as much. Do you think this game means more to him than most other regular season games would? I think it does, um, just from like an emotional um, standpoint, you know, just because he's got three young kids. I mean, when I say young, I don't know their ages off the top of my head, but um, you know, I know he's got two boys and a girl and they're all, you know, in, you know, school age kids, but, um, they were all born in Minnesota. I mean, they're all under that, that, you know, what that threshold of, you know, his 14 seasons, they were all born and raised there. Um, it wasn't like he had, you know, kids before and he moved there. No, that was home for their entire lives until the Browns hired him in January of 2020. So, you know, that was his family's place like you know he's from philly but in terms of he and his wife uh and their three kids it was all minnesota so like you know i have two young kids uh, and just thinking about that and the roots you put down and how he was like i said rare as an nfl coach being able to establish those roots really for a decade plus that's got to mean something to him it wasn't an in and out situation uh, you know, that was home for a long time and, and not just for him, but, but for his kids. And I know I no doubt that they were decked out in, in Vikings gear for, you know, most of their lives until recently when they flipped the Browns. So I can only imagine what the kids are saying to him, especially as, you know, two boys who are way into sports and stuff and a little bit older than the girl. But like, I imagine those are some funny conversations because I know they like Madden. They like the fact that he's in Madden now as a head coach. And, like, they're into him. They're into dad and, and having one of the coolest jobs that a dad could ever have. And so I imagine that, you know, I know kind of having young kids, what young kids can say and how funny it can be. I just kind of imagine the things they might be saying to him. And to me, that's hilarious because he'll never say any of this. He'll never let on that it means, an, like, you know, 1%. Or point zero zero one percent more than any other game. It's just the next game, but that family dynamic, the human element part of it, behind the scenes, in my mind, there's no doubt that it exists, and that's a part we'll never see. Maybe one day down the road, you know, if he's the Browns coach ten years from now, he'll talk about it or something in a fun way. But yeah, we're not going to get any of those fun behind the scenes stories. But just the fact that. There is that family element to it. I have no no doubt that they, they are actually, uh, you know, happening. Yeah, well said. Um, and I, I think that's all true. And that's a that's a long time to be with one NFL team, too. So I, I think you're dead on with what this probably means for Kevin Stefanski. And we may never know exactly unless he really opens up, which is not, not a thing he does. But if he does, I can assure you, we will have coverage of it over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. And it's, it's going to be a, a fun game, I think. So check out all of our content leading up to it. Uh, we have full coverage of player interviews that came out on Wednesday. 
Nate has the big story on Stefanski that's coming out Thursday. And there, there's going to be a lot more leading up to the game and, and afterward, too. So stick around. Check it out. But for now, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you next time.